welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Hi, guys. Good to be back together again. The usual suspects here. I'm Tim. With me are Mark and Ajay. Today, I want to talk about something that we've uh, had a few discussions about over time. Growing up in the Christian church, I learned a lot of things as a kid and even more as an adult that once I found grace turned out to be really different than the way I was taught them. And I'd always said that someday I'd, if I had this kind of creativity, I'd sit down and write a book called Things I Used to Know. And it would be about what I was taught when I was younger and didn't have the revelation of grace that I have today. Another way of looking at it is maybe calling it debunking Christian myths. I know I think we have a couple that are really closely related we want to talk to about or talk about today. Mark, why don't you get us started? Sure. Thanks, Tim. I want to give a little bit of a backdrop how I got into this. I started a, a file name on my laptop, oh, probably four, five, six years ago that I just titled Debunking Christian Myths. And the way that I started starting this list was I've been a worship leader working in churches for over 30 years, and I still have a lot of those people on Facebook, including pastors. And from time to time, I would share a scripture or share the gospel of grace, which is the only one true gospel. And all of a sudden, I would get attacked by all these religionists, I'll call them pastors, that don't understand that the gospel is the message of God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor and love for us that's got nothing to do with any good things we did or any bad things, any righteous acts. It's all Jesus and the cross, him showing and demonstrating his great love for us. And the flack I got for preaching that true grace alone, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, really was shocking to me. But I've always been one who's loved to debate, and so I looked forward to it, and it was never contentious or mean-spirited. Um, I would just bring scripture and whatever they said, I would just say, well, what does this mean then? And during that time, they would from time to time weaponize, for lack of a better word, certain scripture verses to try to win the argument. And after a while, I started knowing that a lot of these scripture verses, if not taken out of context, they completely misinterpreted by 180 degrees as to what Scripture was saying. So that became kind of a hobby of mine, collecting those. And um, so the reason we're doing this is not to criticize pastors or to attack anybody. It's so that the one true gospel would be revealed by letting Scripture show us what it is, but also discussing what it isn't. And those things that people have taken, to, like like Tim said, things I used to know that you used to think were right, but now you realize after you've had a revelation through the spirit of wisdom and revelation that what the true gospel is, that you had them wrong. And we're just going to talk about that. And so 
Some of you people that are listening that have been in the church for years, the minute I say some of these, ding, 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 you're going to say, oh, I've heard that one so many times being preached from. And one is that when pastors or preachers or any Christian, for that matter, does not preach against sin, does not call society out on its sin, does not, when Christians don't get in the face of their children or their neighbors for what they're doing that's wrong, they're removing the offense of the cross, they call it. You just used a term, the offense, off, an, an offense of the cross? The offense of the cross, singular. I'm going to read the scripture in just two seconds here. So what they say, just to capsulize one more time, is that if you do not preach against people's sin, if you do not call society out on the things they're doing wrong, then you're removing the offense of the cross. And the cross is meant to offend, is what their their uh, premise is. So let me read you where they get this this. Uh, premise from, and it's the only place in the Bible that you can find it. It's in Galatians 5.11. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And just, uh, just to explain circumcision, that was one of the key parts of the Judaic law. It was a uh, What's the word? It's a deal breaker. <laughs> That's like number one. On the eighth day, all male children had to be circumcised. It was a symbol and a sign that they were God's people under his old covenant law. So Paul's saying, I'm just going to, just to keep it clear, I'm going to, instead of saying circumcision, I'll say law. So Paul is saying, if I'm still preaching the law, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So Paul is saying that if I did preach the law, the cross would no longer offend. So then that means the inverse is true. The opposite of law is the grace of the cross. So, so Paul is saying then, and the way he's worded things makes it a little hard to understand. But when you when you dissect it like we're doing, it becomes simple. If Paul were to preach the law, the cross would no longer offend certain people. Let me ask you guys this. If Paul were to add the law to the grace shown on the cross, who would it stop offending? Who does grace offend? The legalistic. That's correct. The people that feel like they can become righteous through their own works, the self-righteous and the legalistic is what I'd say. That's that I, be, I believe that that's what the scripture teaches. You okay with that, Ajay? Yeah. Okay. So then, if the cross would, if it would remove the offense of the cross, which is offending legalistic people, then we can surmise that grace is what the offense is, okay? Because preaching the law doesn't, if you, if you preach the law, the offense is removed. And the inverse of the law is grace. So grace is the offense of the cross. It's an offense to who? To the legalistic, as, as, as Tim just said. So then, what they're saying, though, is they're saying that if you don't hammer unbelievers for their sin, you're removing the, the offense. No, no. 
The cross is not meant to be an offense to unbelievers. It's meant to be an offense to those who are trying to earn their own self-righteousness by keeping the law, by keeping a list of do and don'ts, by attending church enough, giving enough, serving enough. You can fill in the blank on that. So the offense of the cross then isn't as they contend sin. They think the cross is supposed to offend sinners. And what Paul is saying, no, he's saying not preaching the law is what offends the legalistics. Okay, so they're getting it 100 degrees backwards. And if we look at Jesus' life, who were the people he offended? Were they the poor sinner in the street? Or were they the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the chief priests, all these people walking around with puffed up chests because they were keeping the law so well? Mark, you know, to your point, right? In fact, this whole chapter, I mean, whole book of Galatians is, you know, Paul is so angry at these people who are corrupting the grace of God, right? With the law, like who are preaching the mixed gospel. In fact, in you know, Corinthians, we know that, you know, Corinthians are like, uh, they were termed as carnal Christians, doing all kinds of things uh, that um, they are not supposed to do. But still, when Paul writes the letter to them, right, he is actually, you know, greeting them lovingly, calling them saints and saying that, you know, Jesus will, Lord Jesus will confirm you unto the end. And then he says, you are uh, blessed with all kinds of uh, spiritual utterance and knowledge. But when it comes to Galatians, right, these seemingly self-righteous people, well-behaved people, but Paul is very, very harsh. So everywhere, you know, we see his harshness, like uh, Paul talking about, you know, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel at you that you're so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So Paul is talking about an another gospel that these guys are... Uh, promoting that is not the grace of Christ. This whole chapter is about that. To your point that, you know, Paul is referring to the entire law, not just the circumcision, when uh, he is referring to circumcision, right? And in the context of offense of the cross, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, in verse chapter, uh, chapter 5 and verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of none effect unto you. Whosoever, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So here in, the, in this context, right, he is using circumcision to represent the whole law. So I think I absolutely agree with you, right? So cross is an offense to the people who are self-righteous, right? Who want to be justified by their own works who wants to bring their righteousness and their goodness uh, so that they can get a pat on the back and some credit to their salvation. But if you go and tell them, you know, cross is basically, you know, everything is finished. Lord Jesus accomplished everything that is required for our salvation. And that's why he cried out, it is finished. And what it means is for us, there's nothing for us to do except to receive what Christ did. And if you go and tell a self-righteous person, who thinks, you know, that he or she is so good and they want to prove their goodness before God and thereby earn their salvation and righteousness. If you tell them, you know, hey, you don't need to do anything. If it is by grace, it cannot be by works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. 
and they will get really offended. What do you mean? You know, how can I be equal with somebody that sinner that has done so many bad things? You're saying that I'll be saved the same way that was sinner that I looked down upon will be saved. You know, you're kind of putting them on an equal footing with the worst sinner and that they don't like it. I think Jesus' parable about the workers who were hired throughout the day but each got the same amount of pay works its way into that very well. You know, he hired some people in the morning and said, I'll, I'll give you whatever that amount was. And then later in the morning, he hired more at the same number and later in the day. But he, he when they came at the end of the day and the workers showed up and said, well, I, but I worked three hours more than he did. How come I'm not getting more? He goes, don't despise what other people get. Be grateful for what you got, more or less. I mean, I'm paraphrasing yeah. and rewording and boiling it down to its simplest terms. But uh, it, it shouldn't matter to me that if you got, you know, if I was actually a better person than the next guy, which I find hard to believe knowing who I am some days, but uh, it shouldn't be an offense to me that you can be saved too, whether you're better than me or worse than me, the same way I am. But that's just not how humanity works. Humanity has this idea that they have to help themselves. God helps those who helps themselves. By the way, y'all, that's only in second opinions, <laughs> not in any other Bible book. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I see how that works together really well there. What's very interesting to me in my experience of being attacked on Facebook was that the people attacking me were proving this scripture because I was putting, I was posting on Facebook that the gospel is the finished work of the cross, that we are saved by grace alone, and it offended them. <laughs> so they're like actually fulfilling what the scripture said all over again. Yeah. And uh, so moving on to point number two, which was another one of the arrows in their quiver they would fire at me, they would say that by us preaching grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, that I was diluting the gospel. I was watering it down. But the scripture you just read in um, Galatians 5 there, uh, Jay, uh, was a perfect uh, picture of what Paul was saying about, you know what, you want to add the law even one thing, you're responsible for the entire thing. And once you've started adding the law, then you've fallen away from grace and Christ is of no value to you. And here in uh, Galatians 1, at the beginning of this whole letter, which deals with people that were uh, under attack by those that wanted to add the law to the pure gospel, he says this, this to them. He says, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He said, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So once again, those who attack the pure gospel and say by not having works involved, you're watering it down and diluting it. Paul is saying here, you add one thing, it's no longer the gospel. It's a perversion of the gospel. Who's the one that's really watering it down and diluting it? The perfect gospel of grace is perfect on its own. Anything you add to it or take away from it only makes it less, only waters it down, only dilutes it. Mark, what do you think is uh, the unwatered down gospel, according to them? 
According to them, it's a mixture of do this, don't do that. Put your faith in Christ, but you also need to go to church on Sundays. And if you have to miss church, then you dang well better feel guilty about it the rest of the day, right? You need to give enough, read your Bible enough, pray enough. You need to not have any patterns of sin in your life. They're, they're, they're just like the legalists of that time who were then called. Now, there were two people that came against Paul in that time. They were the strict out-and-out Jews people of Israel that were under the old covenant law. But then there were also Christians who had been Jews, came to Christ, but now believed that the gospel wasn't by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They believed in that, but they believed you also had to keep the Mosaic law. You also had to do the right things, not do the wrong things. Ajay, uh, I think it was you who on uh, our texting this week Ask the question. So then the question is, are we free to sin as Christians? And my answer to that was, well, yes, we'd have to be free to do that, because if we weren't free, it wouldn't be by grace. It would be by works. Now, what, what people get wrong here is that that's what being under grace leads to, which we know is just the opposite. Scripture tells us many places that the law, living by these rules, a set of rules, actually arouses the sin in us. But being under grace actually transforms us into the image of Christ. So it's just the opposite. Yes, we have to be free to sin. Otherwise, it's not grace. It would be works. But that's not what the love of God brings in our lives. It brings transformation. It brings the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, which is the new covenant. So their fear is that, you know, if you preach pure grace without any works, somehow that will make us sin more, right? And they're trying to help people from sinning by trying to keep them under the law. Is that the logic there? I, I believe it absolutely is. But I also believe once again, 180 degrees wrong. And scripture says it over and over again. Yeah. That righteousness is by faith from first to last. How much room in there is, is stuff for us to do? When Jesus says, it is finished, and to drew his last breath, did he mean it is finished, but now you need to do this, you need to do that, do not watch this kind of movie, don't play cards, don't dance. I mean, it's even gotten silly in some denominations as to what the laws and rules are. Yeah, in fact, uh, Mark, I think like you said, you know, it almost seems to be like, you know, when the scriptures are so plain, but when they are reading the scriptures, you know, they exactly interpret it exactly the opposite of what it says, right? For example, here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Christ is become of no effect to you. Whosoever are you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So it's clearly saying that, you know, if you try to justify yourself by the law, Christ is basically of no use. They seem to be interpreting it as, you know, Christ will be of use to me only if I try to justify myself by the law. So exactly the opposite. But if someone plainly re reads this, right, you know, oh my God, I want Christ to be of effect to me. If anything that makes Christ of not effect to me, right, I want to run away 100 miles an hour from that. 
So it is so clear here, right? If the law is the one, trying to be justified by the law is the one that makes Christ of no effect to me, I absolutely don't want to be justified by the law. So somehow it feels like, like you said, you know, they are interpreting scriptures 180 degrees, opposite of, you know, what uh, it actually says. You know, some of those scriptures that you've just read, uh, I think the justification I remember growing up was, this is this is how you get saved. But from that point forward, you've been changed, so you better straighten up and fly right. <laughs> it's like, well, either I've been changed or I have to do it. it. It didn't seem confusing at the time, but now it really does. It just astonishes me, and that's the word Paul used with the Galatians. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. It just It's astonishing that People can read scripture, but I did it for years, and we all did it for years. We read these same scriptures, but uh, the Bible calls us to rightly divide the Word of God. And the best definition I ever heard of that was from my one of my previous pastors, and he said, rightly dividing the Word of God means filtering everything through you, that you read through the finished work of the cross. We need to rightly divide what is the old covenant and what is the new covenant. Because if you don't do that correctly, you can take things out of context. You can go and read some command in the Old Testament that's not meant for us, that was meant for people that were still trying to do it by the law. And it's also, I think, Ajay, we've talked about this, it's a misunderstanding of what the purpose of the law was in the first place, as you just touched on. It wasn't to make us righteous. It was to show us that we can't make ourselves righteous through it and that we are in desperate need of a Savior. And guess what? That was part of the original gospel, and God provided perfectly for us, didn't he? I just want to say, you know, in fact, even the Old Testament, even though there are two covenants, right, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, but even under the Old Covenant, no one was justified based on the works of the law. And that is the reason, you know, they had the sacrifices, right? All the, every year they had the Day of Atonement, they went and offered the sacrifices, and then these sacrifices were actually pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is important to understand that there is nobody ever on planet Earth ever born that could be justified by the works of the law, except by our Lord Jesus Christ. Even the grace of our faith, like Abraham, it doesn't say he was righteous. He was it was counted righteous by his faith. Absolutely. All right, moving on to uh, the third one, which these first three are very closely related. And this is one that I heard a number of pastors use against the gospel when I would bring the pure gospel, that's all dependent on Christ, not on ourselves, they would almost, well, at least some of them boasted that I preach the full counsel of God. And some translations say the whole will of God, as though what they meant by that is they preach the entire Bible. They're going to preach against sin. They're going to preach the law to you. They're going to also preach the gospel. But to do the full counsel, you have to preach everything from the Bible. Well, there's only one place, again, in Scripture that they've built this, for lack of a better word, theology on. And it's here in Acts 20, starting at 25. 
Well, let me back up just a little at 24. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, starting at 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, after hearing that, guys, can I get you to agree that the most important thing, Paul's sole focus out of life was to testify to the good news of God's grace. I agree. Even to the even with the threat of prison and hardship and death, he counted his life, his very life, worth nothing compared with that sole focus of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Okay, now I'm going to go on just a little bit further uh, to... Uh, verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the full counsel of God, the whole will of God in some translations. Okay, so first Paul tells us he's got one sole focus in life that he even values above his own living or dying, and that's testifying to the gospel of grace. Here he says he hasn't hesitated to proclaim the full counsel of God. If all he ever preached was Christ and the grace of Christ, then that is the whole will of God, the full counsel, because he just said that's what he spent his life doing, even at the peril of death. So the full counsel of God is the gospel of God's grace found in the cross of Jesus Christ, which was Paul's only aim, and in fact, the very task that the Lord Jesus had given him. So what is their interpretation of the full counsel of God? The full counsel of God for them is preaching the entire Bible, preaching the law, preaching against sin, preaching tithing, which is part of the law. You know, they will preach the gospel that Christ is the Son of God, that he died, that he rose again. But as Tim said earlier, but now you got to pull your bootstraps up and start following the law. You need to give your 10%, you know, just fill in the blanks of whatever your rules want to be. Every denomination has added their own. Basically, doing both the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? It kind of goes back to the mixed gospel again, like keeping the law plus believing in Christ is their uh, whole counsel of God. Yeah, in fact, you know, I was thinking um, gospel is referred to as mystery, in uh, many places, right? It was not revealed. It was only revealed after the cross, after the day of Pentecost, right? Through the apostles. The counsel of God is kind of hidden in the Old Testament. Even though there were types and shadows and there were men and women of faith, right? The grace was not fully revealed and it was a mystery. In fact, cross was a mystery, right? No human being could have ever imagined that by the cross, by somebody dying on the cross, the whole humanity will be redeemed. So that is a total, absolute mystery. And it was hidden in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, after the cross, after the resurrection, and after the uh, Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, right? 
we have this revelation of the gospel and that completes the counsel of god you know because from the beginning starting with the um, fall in in the garden right immediately when adam fell god killed a lamb and then clothed them so that is a picture of we being clothed with the righteousness of our lord jesus christ through his death so starting from there god is per- working out the plan of redemption but it was not clear until actually the after the cross so when paul says you know the whole counsel of god right he is actually saying that you know now the full counsel of god is revealed and grace like you said the gospel is the whole counsel of god you know it's not a mixed gospel putting law and adding law to the gospel is not the whole counsel but the whole counsel of god is grace itself apart from the works of the law and what we're saying is we're not telling people hey don't read the old testament don't read the old covenant what we're saying is we don't preach the old covenant we can preach christ from the old covenant which is the very thing most of the apostles did and most of the new testament did paul would preach the old covenant prophecies about christ and you know most of the apostles did even they mentioned apollos who was a great uh, debater that would prove that Jesus was the Messiah Messiah from the old covenant scriptures so we're not saying saw your bible in half and throw the old covenant out we're saying we're not preaching the old covenant that covenant was a transitory covenant covenant it's been gone for 2000 not years now it doesn't exist anymore so why are people still trying to add it to this new covenant. It makes no sense. And just to encapsulate the, something the two of you said um, about how people are mixing the covenants and trying to add the law to the, to the gospel, I recently heard a term called the gospel of empowerment. It means that people believe that it's impossible to earn your righteousness before you come to Christ. But once you put your faith in him, now through him, it is possible for you to fulfill the works of the law, which is basically what a lot of people are trying to do. But that that old covenant doesn't even exist anymore, even if you wanted to do that. There is no old covenant. It, it was transitory, as 2 Corinthians 3 told us, and it, it transitioned out 2,000 years ago to something much better. You know, that kind of makes it, you know, the ultimate purpose of Christ dying is keeping the law, right? Keeping the commandments. But that's a total misunderstanding of our purpose. You know, God created us for fellowship with him and communion with him and to be part of his family. We are not created to just to serve the old covenant and keep rules and regulations. But, you know, God created us to have fellowship with him. So they're making Christ as subservient to keeping the law, right? So... All Christ died for is to help us to keep the law. That makes the law greater than Christ. But what God wanted us to is to have fellowship with him, just come back home. And I think that the preachers are preaching. I think what they're preaching is Christ died for our sins up to the point of our salvation and gave us eternal life. But everything else is on us. Anything that comes past that point. I think that's really how they feel and what we're, what they're trying to preach when they say, now. but now you've got to double down and you're part of this now, and to prove it, to show it, to earn it, you have to do these things that that you know are in the old covenant. You know, it's it's not like they don't feel the cross or Christ's uh, uh, sacrifice isn't 
a big and beautiful thing. It forgives us our sins up to that point, and it gives us eternal life. But then they drop the ball. It's like there's so much more. I, I would agree with you that, Tim, that there are untold millions that live that way. But I think there's also another equally giant group that just thinks that the law and rules are part of the gospel. They're not even like consciously saying, now I have to, you know, pull up my bootstraps and do this. They think that's part of the message. They just innately think that it's faith in Christ, and part of that is being religious. I'd, I'd like to read to you guys just, just this is very much, I love this chat, and I would just challenge, encourage everybody is a better way of putting everybody out there to really read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 7 through verse 18. It's just, a, it's Paul's beautiful comparison of the old covenant and the new covenant. And when you understand this, I think it's going to clear any question up in your mind that you've ever had about what the gospel is. I'm just going to read the second half of it here. Um, Paul says this, he says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now to me that's just so beautiful, and it's just showing you that the law— if our goal is to know God and to come to God and experience him, then we don't want a veil between us. Well, the law is a veil. It doesn't bring us closer to God. It separates. Yep. So the point we're making here is that there are two covenants, the new and the old. And though many preachers, pastors, small group leaders, just your average lay Christians, they confuse them and they mix them. And let me read this here. It says, speaking about the old covenant first. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. So Paul's telling us that the old covenant was a ministry of death and condemnation and that it was transitory. He's telling us that the new covenant, which is the gospel in Christ's blood, is a ministry of, uh, of righteousness. It's a ministry of the Spirit, and it's a ministry that lasts why would we want to take that other minister, that other covenant that compared to the glory of the new covenant has no covenant at all and has now transitioned away anyway? Why would we try to take that and mix it in with this perfect gospel? Yep. It just doesn't make sense. It just separates us from God. Amen. In layman terms, it seems like based on what you read, Mark, 
the new covenant is way more superior to the old one yeah absolutely why do people even want to consider the inferior one when way more superior is right in front of them and it is free the best news is it's free we don't have to do anything simply by receiving all of the new covenant blessings are ours right because the lord jesus christ purchased it for us so the question is like why do you want to do that and i know that question is rhetorical because you know the the answer to why you wouldn't do it but i think we've discussed this but just to quickly touch on it it's because we are born into that system of earning having des- des- deserve everything it's a merit system from the time we're little kids be a good boy you'll get a cookie work hard you'll get good grades uh treat that girl well and she'll marry you work really hard at work and you'll get promoted everything is merit we don't see undeserved unearned unearned merit anywhere else in life other than from god so i think it comes natural to us and then you add on top of that centuries of people who were just ignorant of the true gospel preaching a counterfeit so that would be my two answers to that guys this has been a great discussion We have plenty more of these to discuss over the next few sessions. So uh, I look forward to that. This has been a great discussion. I thank you for your time today, guys. And I look forward to our next get together. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.